Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello and welcome. This is our voices are broken. <laughs> Hello it's and welcome. It's the Creative Coding. <laughs> Hello. It's and- the Creative Coding podcast with your hosts, me Seb Lee Delisle and me Ian Lobb. That's very slick. That we're going. That was the take we're going with. Is it? That's the one. Yeah. We're getting slicker and slicker as this goes on. So polished. What's it been? Five years? Yeah, it's been a long time. Sorry, slight delay on this one. We are we're back into it now. The thing is, last time we recorded, we knew that we were super behind, but Seb hadn't done his show, and so you still had loads of stuff to do, didn't you? Ugh, so much to do. It was like Was it like crunch preparing for the show? Was it like that thing where you're just working non-stop like 16-hour days and that sort of thing? Yeah, but it was really exacerbated because I had another project on at the same time, right. which was choreography with the choreographer Tim Casson. Yeah. Did, I, did we talk about this on the yeah, show? Yeah, we did. So you've done them both now. Yeah, they were both the same week. So <laughs> So <laughs> on Monday <laughs> I had to do something with Tim. It was like a sharing. Like with dance projects, you do sharings sometimes. What's that? What does that mean? It's basically just showing it to some people. Other dancers. and <laughs> Yeah, but it's generally in like a dance studio or something. So it's not like a full performance. Right. I so see. I had a sharing on Monday. Then on Wednesday was my show. Mm-hmm. And then on Thursday was another bigger sharing. And then on Friday was another kind of, what do they call it? A scratch night yeah it was a scratch night where we did we did the show again but in a theater what's a scratch no, sorry what's a scratch a scratch night? a scratch night is just you know for like work in progress right okay so it's a bit like a sharing i suppose but it's generally in a in a venue with an audience right i don't think that's just a dance thing i know that theater and comedy performances that are scratch nights right okay but if that wasn't enough on thursday night after the sharing i drove to london because I won an award. Oh yeah, well done. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> what was the award? It was the Lumen Prize, the interactive category. What? So the Lumen Prize is an international digital arts award. Fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Did you know you were getting it before or not? I don't I don't know if I should uh, No, it was a complete surprise. <laughs> um, they told me a, a little bit before that I had won a prize, but they didn't tell me uh, which one. And it was, I shouldn't really admit that. It's probably going to ruin Well, they try, systems. they make sure that you go. Yeah. Like, if you're, if you can't go to an awards thing that you're in, they let it slide unless you're going to win, in which case they go, uh, you probably should come. Yeah. And it was, it was really super difficult for me to get there. I, you know, I missed the whole presentation and everything. I just basically, <laughs> so I had to record a, a thank you video. Which is really silly, but people seem to like it. Apparently, at least that's what they told me when I was when I arrived. Right, cool. But actually, in all seriousness, it is really cool because there aren't many awards for digital art, so that's really cool. Mm. Um, it's also really cool that they basically support you for like a whole year, so they've got loads of exhibitions and stuff coming up all over the world for the next twelve months. Awesome. So all all the shortlisted artists will be featured so you know that it was for laser light synths yeah and i'm not sure how many of their exhibitions i'll be able to install the full thing because it's obviously quite big and expensive but yeah we're hoping to at least get it in like a couple yeah it's really exciting and it's just it's amazing obviously i've won a few awards before but not really for my artwork 
you know, so this is like recognition as an artist, which is really amazing. And <laughs> I guess I don't always feel like I fit in to the wider art world because my projects, I try and make them fun yeah. <laughs> and accessible. And although, <laughs> although I think most people in the art world are totally fine with that, I think there is still maybe a slight insecurity that, you know, on my own part, you know, that maybe people often in, in the art world expect more depth or to be challenged or... I think most people in art, though, know that there's different kinds of art. Yeah, most people are cool. I met Matt Collins, the art critic, mm. and he's also a contemporary artist himself. He was famous over here for a bit for doing these programmes about, like, explaining modern arts to the general public. And um, he's one of the most down-to-earth people ever. It's like, even though like the sort of art that he talks about is the Tracy Emmons and the stuff that's completely inaccessible. And left... Well, I mean, Tracy Emmons is not inaccessible, but people like her, those sort of contemporary artists, where you it's... sort of need some of it explained, otherwise you've got no idea what you're looking at. Tracy Emmons is a really interesting example, isn't it? Because I don't really feel like she's at all pretentious, really. You know, I feel like she's, you know, obviously got humble beginnings. She's just sort of doing her thing. And I think any sort of pretentiousness that uh, arises from her work is entirely, is like nothing to do with her. It's like <laughs> red people reading stuff into it. Yeah, I think like she's just, pro- you know, I mean, well, her stuff works authentic. on a surface level, doesn't it? Because she would do something like uh, her piece, All the Men I've Ever Slept With, which is a mm. tent in which she's embroidered the names of all the men <laughs> she's ever slept with. It's completely straightforward. Yeah. you know and you can look at the craft of it and whether you like looking at it and you can think about what it might mean and stuff but there's not really like super deep levels to it are there nope Uh, uh, that sort of contemporary art i find it really interesting because on the one hand i've been reading to my children the stories of hans christian anderson oh yeah pretty brutal huh and i was sorry i was getting mugged up with grim Grimm is pretty brutal. Hans Christian Andersen is all right, isn't he? They both have a darkness to them, and some of the stories are quite dark, but Hans Christian Andersen's probably more cheerful <laughs> than the Brothers Grimm. <laughs> but, you know, there's the story in their, um, The Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah, of course. Famous. About, you know, the Emperor being convinced by his, his upmarket tailors yeah. of the quality and fine fabric that he's wearing, of course, when it's like he's... They, they, they pretend to sew him some things and then in the end he's wearing nothing yeah. right and it's the way it's actually written like re- everyone knows the story but reading the original uh this is a, the original tr- english translation um it's like it's the length it's the it's the extent to which the story explains like the all the all the language around the embroidery and the clothes the clothes making and the the, <laughs> the weft and the warp of the material and all this stuff it's like that's the bit that engineers in the emperor the belief in the clothes and that's exactly how all of contemporary art works you have to buy into it into the whole system of art galleries and everything otherwise none Mm. of it works it's just some stuff Mm. tracy emmons bed outside of like a white box art gallery is it's just a mess (laughs) it's a messy bed right but it's like you put it in the art gallery and it becomes you change the context into an art context, right? And it becomes something different. It's it's and, almost like a trope now, isn't it? The story about a cleaner accidentally cleaning away the art. <laughs> right, and there's other times where you go to an art gallery and there'll be a bucket propped up against the side and people go, they don't know if it's one of the pieces of art or not, right? 
because it's <laughs> slightly out, slightly too far away from the label where it's like, oh, is that supposed to be an art? Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect strongly that contemporary art is fully to blame when you're not 100% sure whether something's actually in the exhibition or not. But then, so, so even within that world, right, there'll be someone who comes along who's like, take Grayson Perry, really good potter. Yeah. Right? Grayson Perry has these craft skills which are actually nothing to do with the like meaning of the pieces, or are they? Yeah. You know, most contemporary artists went to art school. And mm. there they learned some drawing and some photography and stuff. So every so often, even if they're like these contemporary artists, they like to like prove that they can dr- draw a nude or like do some <laughs> something which requires <laughs> like the old fashioned artistic talent. Yeah, but often they'll just get a craftsperson to do it, right? <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Where you get like Tracy Emin, for example, commissioning a uh, neon sign. Yeah. Her contribution was just having the idea and telling someone to make it and paying for it and then everything else was actually the the amazing skill of the of the glass bender who like created the actual glass <laughs> right yeah With the sign so yeah but it's about the idea though isn't it contemporary art doesn't matter who made it <laughs> that's i mean that's that's an interesting thing why game development i think is interesting because it's like it's very hard to be the ideas person yeah you can't just have one idea and go okay make that right because it's like you have to understand every aspect of the process mm. to be able to even make the thing because you could say to someone okay go and make me this but they've made all the decisions basically like <laughs> you, you wouldn't know what you're going to get back yeah but it's, it's interesting that when you were talking about the emperor's new clothes i just thought it just reminded me that that's really all modern life and marketing <laughs> right mm. i mean yeah. it's all marketing <laughs> like music tv i don't know is it i don't i don't agree i don't agree like i think that really well made music it's hype it's not though you're explaining hype no i don't think so i think fashion is and like i mean a classic one is perfume yeah it's a smelly liquid in a bottle (laughs) but there's a whole industry that goes around creating like the the aura around it and the the sort of properties (laughs) that you're taking on and stuff hence the unfathomable perfume adverts yeah absolutely but then you can't argue the same thing about music like music you listen to it and it makes you feel a certain way or it doesn't yeah except how often has it happened to you in the past where you've heard a song on the radio or have you listened to songs now and you're just, this doesn't really happen anymore right but let's right, just okay. go back in time to imagine that people still listen to the radio like 10 years ago imagine you heard a song on the radio and you're like yeah it's all right and then you saw it on the telly with the person singing the song being interviewed and that you thought oh yeah they're really nice and then you saw them perform and they came across really well and then the next time you hear the song you're like oh this is that person i really like that and then you like the song oh and, it happens and the same all the goes time the, yeah, it, it happens all the, the other way me. as well. It happens all the time with me with like watching uh, r- like uh, rockumentaries or like, <laughs> you know, documentaries about like Prince or something. Yeah. I sort of don't even think about that music. And then I'll like watch a documentary explaining who the person was and you see them performing the songs live and stuff. And it, yeah, you completely reevaluate all of it and you go, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Marketing, but I get no. But I don't think that is marketing. I think that's the way that things just become background after a while. Uh Like songs become background, and then when you see someone perform it, that's when it moves more back towards art. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) 
or not. I don't well, know. Well, well done on the prize, by the way. That's amazing. Thank you. I'm really excited. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really astonished really it's are you genuinely brilliant. excited it's not one of those things where people say they're excited about things i'm sort of blown <laughs> away really you know because the quality of all the shortlist was really good there was some really in fact there was one piece an interactive piece that didn't even make it into the shortlist they were long listed and i thought it was a brilliant work the interaction was a swing so you'd sit on the swing and there'd be all projections around you. And I never saw it in person, but I'd love to. So, you know, even the stuff that didn't make it into the shortlist was really good. So I am, I'm just really pleased. I didn't really think that a project like that could be recognised in that world. So it's good. Oh, the winner was a VR piece that's really beautiful, actually. Okay. What's, um, do you know what it's called? Oh, the winner was Fabio Giampietro and Alessio De Vecchi. Uh, Italians. Uh-huh. I met Fabio, and and it's really it's a VR experience, right? So it's you can't move around though, right? You can just look around, right? But it is three D, and it's these weird urban landscapes. So you're on the top of a tall skyscraper, and you're on the corner, right? So you're right on the edge of this skyscraper, and there's all these, um, yeah, it's just like other skyscrapers and stuff. And in one of them, there's like a big wheel in the distance and on another one it's sort of a bit like inception with the with all the buildings sort of curving above you and around you right but it's really beautifully executed i think because it sort of looks like a painting okay but it's actually like a 3d environment and i believe that it was a collaboration between those two artists and i can't remember i've, I've got a feeling that hang on, let's have a look yeah, I'm not sure who did which, but one of them did all the 3D modelling and one of them did and sort of painted, the other one sort of painted the textures. So I right. believe they painted the textures with on oil, on canvas, oils on canvas, right? So right. Wow. that's how comes it gave you this sort of slightly <laughs> painted and yet very real kind of experience. Yeah, so it was really cool. Yeah, I really liked it. So that won the gold prize and then there were loads of other category awards for still image and uh, web based there was a games award people's choice um movie oh, what won the 3D. games what won the games award the one that won the games award was actually from a student in new york called eddie melody and he made a video game it highlights the power of music through its narrative apparently that's what it says <laughs> i didn't really try it but it looked really beautiful like this little cute character running around that's cool. But I believe they're all... If you go to lumenprize.com, you get to see, like, pictures and... Oh, while we're on um, VR, or we were just a second ago, yeah. I was lucky enough to, at a local meetup, um, I met Katie Good um, from Triangular Pixels and her mm. partner. And they make a VR game called Unseen Diplomacy. Right. And they're working on... Oh, they've made that and they're working on some other stuff. But it's fantastic. It's really one of... Well, it's definitely the best VR thing that I've done. Really? Um, yeah, it was running on the Vive. And um, what they do in that game is basically they keep turning you round. So they hmm. have you walk forward. You need a, like a decent sized space to do it. But what yeah. they do is they make you walk forward a bit and then they turn you like 90 degrees and they make you walk forward a bit. And then they they turn you again and they sort of change what's behind you to be other stuff. <laughs> so that then when you walk back, to where you came you're in a new place so you go on this really long journey that you're actually physically moving on and you sort of don't think about all the tricks they're doing because like they do lots like there's a bit where you go in an elevator and that disorients you enough that when you come out you don't necessarily remember which way you were facing and things like that 
and mm. you you would even go through a door and then because you never go you never backtrack you don't realize necessarily that like they're swapping stuff out behind you as you go it's really clever um, right so presumably they can sort of turn you around while you're walking and stuff without not, you realizing not physically you turn no, yourself no, not physically around. Yeah. yeah yeah but they can sort of turn the world around so you oh, no, i mean if you actually did that you'd feel really sick mm. yeah what they do is they make you turn or they make you go yeah. through a door and then they make you turn around the, and face the other way yeah and then when you go back through the door it's a different you're walking into a different place if you put a blindfold on someone and tell them to walk straight you can't you just don't walk straight you go in circles or you right. go in spirals and you just yeah, ra- almost randomly, right? So <laughs> you require the visual feedback yeah. of what's around you to keep you in a straight line. So if Absolutely. that visual feedback is being manipulated subtly, they can make you think that you're walking in a straight line when really you're walking in a circle. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you if you turn someone a lot of times. Yeah. If you if you if you turn like if you say like turn forty turn ninety degrees and walk forward a foot and then turn another 90 degrees now turn another 90 degrees and you get you keep getting people to turn 90 degree turns it's very hard to remember how many you've done and and what way you're facing right it's also just really well made vr game with like lots of little subtle puzzles and you're like a secret agent yeah but it doesn't really feel like that it's really that you're not really immersed in the narrative it's much more like you're just going through an an environment yeah and working out how to get through it Hmm. simple environmental puzzles like You've got to unscrew some screws from this hatch and it has you crawling around a lot. <laughs> and I don't know how like people wear their trousers in a certain way at these days where basically you see a lot of man flesh or <laughs> you see that area of... So you get a lot of bum cleavage, is that yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. It's almost like if they wanted to design a game to make people show their bum cleavage in public, this is how that, it does this it. it. <laughs> But, um, so how big a space do you need for, for that the space they had it in was probably three by four meters something like mm. that not massive not massive no but mm. there's ways of making people move sl- more slowly yeah when you're wearing the headset you know that you're physically wired to something mm. so you immediately don't want to charge around like you walk more more cautiously because you know that you're tethered and that in itself i think slows you down so that you wouldn't do the really stupid stuff you know jumping out the window or like whatever <laughs> accidentally running into the wall are you gonna get a, a vr um, set up are you gonna not at the moment you're gonna work in it they're quite expensive but a lot of the a lot of the unity freelance projects that are out at the moment seem to be vr things so yeah i don't know if it's like an inevitability that will have to be um i'll have to do this stuff at some point i don't know but i'm i'm more like enthusiastic about it than i have been especially the well especially the vibe i didn't get it at all until i tried the vibe and now i'm just like trying to figure out if i need to buy one (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot of and especially because there's a lot of interesting interactive art being done in Mm. vr now too it works great as a social experience though it's like it's fun to watch and stuff there's a sort of there's a social aspect to it i suppose I don't know if that's just because it's such a new technology that like people just crowd around to look at it, but and and also because of the bum cracks. I don't think anyone wants to see that bit of. <laughs> no flesh. one wants to see that. Okay, <laughs> that bit of love handle. <laughs> mm, maybe they should just hand out really good belts to everyone <laughs> as well. It's just like, they should oh, no, hand you... you a photo at the end and go. By the way, <laughs> yeah. this is an intervention. <laughs> it, should, it should just automatically <laughs> take a picture of you whenever you bend down yeah just be like like the fairground rides 
<laughs> there's a, it's a really funny bit in actually where um, mm. this one, there's a bit where they've got all this junk on the floor. And I mm. found myself sort of stepping in that way, like high knee stepping to like get across the junk. And then I felt really stupid because then I thought, no, the junk's not real. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. It means that it got you. You got me. Yeah. I believed it. You were yeah. immersed. Yeah. Totally. Pretty sure last time we talked about it, you always were like, no, I'm not immersed. I just feel like I'm looking through. I was more immersed in this because yeah. I had my headset properly adjusted, which helped. Right. Like, I don't know if it just happened to be set up better because mm. I think you have to focus the lenses and everyone. Well, it's everyone, how far apart your eyes are too, Everyone's right? eyesight is different, exactly. Everyone's yeah. different. So there's the focusing and to, to counteract your short-sightedness. I guess that's one of the things. And then also how, you know, how far apart your eyes are. Is that called interocular distance or something? That it sounds good, be. yeah. It should be if it's not. Interocular distance. I think that's what it's going to be called from now on if that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's an optician at home listening to this going no i do kind of feel like it's one of those things where it's in that stage of being a new technology where mm. it's everything's to play for anyone can be yeah. an expert now just get on board now and yeah and get yourself you can get yourself up to date really quickly and you can yeah. help shape this stuff yeah um like what the what the end result is no one really knows it's not like nope. i've like say iPhone development was an interesting one because that happened really suddenly and certain people just got on board with it and then suddenly massive you know it's a huge market opportunity to like use your skills to um, make apps or whatever for that platform VR is not really the same because there's not the same amount of devices out there it's not like there's suddenly Mm. millions of customers but what there is is like a lot of creative opportunity I guess a lot of like What's the word I'm looking for? Open space, I guess. Yeah. What's the, what word am I looking for? Uh, Unclaimed territory, maybe? Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> it's not going to be mainstream for a little while, is it? But I Well, think the it, PlayStation VR is coming out, I think, this Christmas. Don't you think it has to, go, it has to come to mobile, really, before it's truly, truly mainstream? Yeah, well, Google just announced a new thing, didn't they? Which was Their a Pixel phone. Pixel phone, and then they've got like Their a... Their wearable thing. A knitted... Fuzzy... It's called Google Dreams, I think? I watched some of the keynote, but not... Yeah. not not enough but they've got their own they've got a vr headset that goes with their phone yeah it's quite funny because obviously i've registered pixelphones.com because that's one of my projects is pixel phones yeah um but weirdly enough i did a quick check and they haven't even registered pixel phone so obviously they don't care they're google right they can just they don't need a domain name they probably don't they could just be google.com slash pixel Pixel. yeah that's what they are It's probably a better domain name they don't even care domain names used to be hot property but now with the new top level domains, they're not really anymore, are they? Yeah. Because if you don't get if you don't get cars dot com, you could get cars dot TV. Well, no, but no, but that's that was wasn't TV just the Transylvanian one or something? Oh, was it? Like there's dot community now or dot dot ninja. <laughs> Whoa, dot community. Yeah, that's a really long <laughs> top level domain, isn't it? There's dot zone as well, which I really like. Dot zone. The dude from Giant Bomb has Jeff dot zone, which I think is a hilarious domain. Name. I expect friend zone was a popular one, but the, no. But that's the thing is, there are so many, there are so many top level domains now. The scarcity thing is gone. Yeah, good, because <laughs> that was ridiculous. It was always silly. Yes, I think dot game is coming out, and it's going to be two hundred pounds a year for a domain or something. Why? Why would you? <laughs> Ugh. It's pointless. But if it ends the monopoly of .com, I think it's good because yeah. .com is controlled by the American registrar company, isn't it? They probably uh, all are, but... I, 
know. The, the, the internet's always had a weirdly uh, American focus, mm. where it's like every country has a country code domain. Yeah. Apart from America, well, isn't it weird that our our domains were all like .dot uk or that .dot fr or .dot es, and how comes America wasn't .dot usa? Or... Yeah, yeah, and they've got .dot gov. Yeah. Someone's going to write in and say that Americans been, invented the internet and stuff and set it up, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> don't get don't let facts get in the way didn't the american military set up the internet well, yeah arpanet is probably where yeah that's ARPANET. probably why they got to decide yeah, they sure. did invent it i don't i think it was american universities probably right using pentagon money i feel like we're having a ramble chat like on the, <laughs> this is a, this is one of the most circular conversations we've ever had because we still haven't got to how your show went my show yeah oh it was good yeah i really enjoyed it and it was full and everyone was really, really nice about it. And everyone laughed in some of the right places and <laughs> <laughs> and other places where I didn't expect them. That's fine. That's all good. Did it go right, mostly? Did anything go No, wrong? there were loads of technical problems. Oh, no. But it was fine. Um, it's funny, really, because afterwards, everyone was so enthusiastic. And I sort of knew that there were some technical problems, but I didn't really let it phase me during the show. I just kind of, you know... You just deal with it, don't you? Move on. And it was only after I looked at the video that I realised there was actually quite a lot of stuff going wrong. <laughs> it's just like, as long as you don't let it phase you, it's totally fine. Yeah, the main thing was the laser kept turning off, but that's why, fine. Why did it turn off? I think because my network cable was a cheap, rubbish one. I should have used the good shielded ones. Oh, no. But it went well overall. Yeah. I think so. And like the people at the venue are really enthusiastic, but it's the old market in Hove and they're owned by the people who, who runs, who invented Stomp. You know Sorry. Stomp? No. <laughs> oh, it's Stomp. this, it's massive touring show. Oh, Stomp, up. that's Stomp. Yeah. Sorry. I thought like it was going to, sh- yes. Sorry, sh- was Stomp like invented? Percussion. Sorry. It's just because you used the word invented. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to Found call it. it. The creators of worldwide hit show stomp wow yeah um, good old stomp yeah so they bought the old market because it it was i mean it's a really nice venue and it was it was in danger of you getting lost so they they bought it and they've been really really supportive and they've they were really very positive about it and hopefully going to help me maybe take it to the next level going to talk to some of the people there about touring it maybe i don't know I've literally no idea where it can go, but I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? That's awesome. I could be doing a show. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Hacking is a thing now, isn't it? So I, I don't know. I think it's um I think it's more the sort of eighties technology thing that seems a bit zeitgeisty. Right. There's uh DJ Yoda is doing a show in London. I think he has done it which was all like 80s arcade game music all remixed and video clips and right, stuff. Right, right. Pretty fun. You know, just stuff like that that seems to be happening. Like Wi-Fi Wars and Go 8-Bits. Is it on Dave? Uh, and that's all like gaming and they have a lot of old games on that. I don't know. I just feel like it's... I guess there's always a fascination with a few decades before, right? <laughs> Especially like a more cleaned up... Like a nostalgic version that isn't really the real version, but... Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting partly because it's so much more primitive than what we're used to now. But it's also interesting because it was actually really, really new and innovative at the time. 
compared to what came before. I think like the Amiga era, right, was exciting in a way that to kids at the time and everyone, I guess, in a way that I know for a fact computers aren't exciting to kids now <laughs> because they of the newness. Yeah. Right? Because it was something completely new. You'd grown up on black and white television and here is an interactive thing with millions of colours and this amazing bright pixel art stuff flying around and all of these amazing worlds and it's all interactive. And Yeah, well, it's hard to remember. I mean, I remember when I first got my Amiga, I think I was 18, and came with bundled with Batman and you put Batman in and it played the music and there was like the odd word, like I'm Batman or whatever. The thing that's mind-boggling now to remember is that music coming out of a computer was really amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So let alone video, right? <laughs> What's amazing now, weirdly, is music not coming out of a computer, in a sense. <laughs> That's the whole thing with vinyl, right? It's like, <laughs> it's the only way of listening to some music that hasn't come out of a digital thing. Or cassettes. I mean, there's people selling cassettes oh, as well. Not- <laughs> I mean, I, th- I actually think that's... <sighs> it's a bit stupid. I, I kind of, I get it. You know, because I like old school stuff. So I do get it. But it is also a bit fake, right? Mm. There's always been this sort of slightly trendy, shallow interest in old, obsolete things, which is which is fun. There I has suppose. to be like a cooling off period as well. Like no one cares yeah. about things that happened five years ago, right? Yeah. That's just a rubbisher version of what we have now. Like no <laughs> one's... Uh, nostalgic about the iphone version one mini discs yeah no mini discs probably more nostalgic but like <laughs> i like first iphone you would not be nostalgic about it or the first ipad no it's just a not as good version of the things we have now a mini disc i think that's exotic i remember the advert for them where there's like the guy skating or something or like <laughs> reef for recording a demo reef. in their studio and and the and the mini disc falls out the window and a guy's skating past and he picks it up and puts it in his mini disc player and skates off right back in the days when your minimum requirement is to be able to drop it <laughs> in the movie strange days uh all of the vr experience things they have are recorded onto mini disc i think <laughs> yeah but i'm just so, i'm wondering what the threshold is before it's interesting 10 years you know what about what about the first ipod is that that's probably quite cool isn't it as an object to hold i would be interested in holding one yeah like with that big turny wheel on the front yeah it's like a rotary telephone rotary telephones i've got a rotary telephone in my living room i can't use it anymore though because there's not enough current in my house phone signal to make it ring because i've got fiber broadband Mm. the analog phone system that plugs into it is a fake one it's not the real telephone line okay does that make sense no i don't know how that works sounds weird you know how telephone lines don't they have their own power source yeah that's right because there's like a current that actually comes in the telephone wire yeah it's just a few milliamps isn't it it's not very much so i don't have that you don't have it no because i just have fiber optic coming in yeah what i do have is another internal circuit for the phones yeah but there isn't enough current in it to ring an old-fashioned phone because I guess it's magnetic that moves the electromagnets, move the the dinger, and the mine doesn't have enough force to make it ring. So you can answer it, but it won't ring. Mm, I'm sure you can pump up the amps (laughs) somehow. Milliamps. It's not that important to use it. It's mostly for looks, isn't it, having one of those? Yeah. You can't dial out on them. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, it's the most not, useless thing, in fact. They were not designed for 10-digit numbers, were they? But I mean, also, they have no redial, they have no caller ID. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking... Obviously, I've been thinking about what it was like in the 80s because of my show, really, and trying to get some interesting things. And it struck me that you could miss a phone call. Mm. <laughs> In fact, I've just been rereading all the Hitchhiker's Guide books and in So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, Arthur can hear his phone ringing. Right. He he just about makes it to his house and right before he picks it up, it stops ringing. That's it. (laughs) In In those days, that was it. Yeah. You can even do 1471 or whatever it was. That was it. Basically, you missed the call. That was it. No options. Yeah. You know, now it's impossible to miss a call. Even if your phone is switched off, you can't miss the call. I really wish I didn't have to have a landline because it's one, like, you know who's calling, it's your parents. (laughs) And two, you have to pay for it. You have to pay like £10 a month or something. You can't buy broadband if you don't get it. And it's just like, dudes, come on. I don't have a landline. Do you not? No, my mum calls me on my mobile now. Wow. Good times. Well, how do you get internet? Uh, Virgin. Oh, okay. So they... I guess they've got a separate cable coming in. Fun times. <laughs> Nostalgia is really interesting. There's a... It's not what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's an old joke. Um, what was I going to say? There's a really good article by um, the guys who make the video game Owlboy. I forget the name. D-Pad Studios. There we go. That, and mm. they've invented their own term called High Bit, which is for pixel art games that are non-retro. Mm. It's a good article and... It's good to have a word for it. High bit. Because it basically means that you can talk about retro looking stuff and pixel art without saying 8-bit or terms that are just factually wrong. But pixel art is fine. Why don't you just say pixel art? Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, I suppose it's all pixel art, isn't it? It's just how many pixels. I guess that's exactly it. But then high bit is not necessarily more descriptive. No, that doesn't... That explains nothing. Okay, forget about the name, but the article is good anyway, because they basically (laughs) say, like... There's this game Shovel Knight, which does a lot of things to exactly recreate the look of a NES game. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, even if you look at that, you go, well, actually, there's no... A NES was a 4x3 resolution, and there's no 4x3 mode for shovel night it's actually always widescreen and all of these things that you couldn't actually do Mm. they're doing a new sonic game um i think it's called sonic mania it looks like a sega mega drive game or something but then if you actually look at the specific things they're doing you could not do any of that stuff on the hardware at the time yeah it's like a nostalgia for a time that didn't exist basically where you had pixel art games that were really high resolution and ran at 60 frames a second amazingly and could have all these sprites on the stage all this stuff that you couldn't do yeah People will be nostalgic for Flash soon. It's going to happen. I think it's... I've already seen the, the start of it. Someone's done a Kickstarter for a, a documentary about Flash animation, the early ones, like mm. like Joe Cartoon. Do you remember that? Yes. Frog in a blender and yeah. hamster in a microwave. And stuff. Oh, you know what? I've got uh, a couple of interviews that we have to edit into a show. Okay. From way back. Right. And it's... Um, Bruce Lawson and Jeremy Keith. I've got two separate interviews, but they both kind of talk about Flash's legacy in terms of the web and how Flash was good for, what do they call it? The open web? Mm. I don't know. I'm not quite sure how to edit it into a show. Right. We might have to talk about the subject a little bit as well, but we should do that because I feel bad because 
they did it ages ago and we haven't used it. They took the time. Let's do it. Yeah, that sounds good. And I've also got an interview with Mario Klingerman. That's cool. That's oh, an yeah. easier one because I can just put that in. I think we trailed all this stuff on the last episode. I can't remember. I have no idea what we talk about on this show. I've got one thing that I wanted to talk about today, actually, because it's what I've been... Oh, hang on. Before you do that, I've just got a correction from last time. Okay. <laughs> I remember afterwards I got some dates really horribly wrong. Um, We were talking about the NES. Right. And I, and I think I said early 80s, which is obviously nonsense. Um, It didn't come out in north america till mid 80s 85 i don't think we got it till 87 right but you were saying that it was really expensive and i don't think it was that expensive i think it was like 80 pounds or something like that there's someone on the internet that's just scanned in all the argos catalogs (laughs) no way yeah so it's really incredible to to look at um (laughs) (laughs) the the laminated book of dreams as bill yes so for, for those of you not uk based Argos is a catalogue store. You know, it was like internet shopping. Before the internet, it really was, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's, I'll, I'll add a link on to this archive. It's pretty special. <laughs> that sounds amazing. So what were you saying? Oh, sorry, no, yeah. So I just wanted to talk about briefly about controlling character animations interactively mm. in games and how, like, I really wish this was a solved problem, but it's, it isn't yet. <laughs> and it's sort of like a really quite complex thing. So I've done loads of it on loads of different platforms in 2D, even like writing my own like Bones-based character controller. Mm. And uh, I recently on a client project got to work a lot with um, using Unity's humanoid avatar system and all of their animation controller stuff. Mm. It really is quite interesting. And I think definitely the 3D... Is it good then? Interestingly good. Because there's all these things you can do in it in 3D which go, oh, I wish I I I had that in 2D. How Unity works for 3D animations is you have like a flowchart type system. It's like a state machine um, and you can define different states that animation can be in. So like idle, walking would be two states. And then you define like a rule for when to transition from idle to walking. Mm. So you can say, oh, if this variable, like if the speed variable is more than zero, transition from idle to walking. So you don't do this with code. You just pull little arrows and you write what rule makes that happen, basically, that transition. Sounds good. I mean, that's fine, but that's nothing you couldn't do with just some if statements. But it's like there's some subtleties in it that are really, really handy. So one of the main ones is you can you can put in an exit point for an animation. So you can say, like, if the speed is more than zero, transition to the walking animation, but only do it on this one certain frame of the animation. So don't do it until it loops around to just the right point. And if you want to keep things in sync and have things look believable, it's so, so useful. And I haven't found any 2D animation systems that are anywhere like as powerful in, in terms of what they give you to define this stuff. And so you end up writing a lot of more logic to solve the same problems. And the same things with doing things with inverse kinematics. So with the Unity avatar stuff, you can just pick a point in 3D space and just say, look at this point and say which, which bones should look or whatever. And the character will just move their head to look and it's so see so much work and mm, that sounds good it's interesting what you were saying when i first looked at unity and this was all around the time that you know i could see the writing was on the wall for flash and i was a bit i was still quite angry at adobe for it because right. i felt like they'd missed a lot of opportunities and when i saw a unity 
even back then, you know, and it's come on so far since then, but even back then I just felt like they'd made a lot of really good decisions mm. on how to make things easy to work with. And and it was only really seeing Unity that made me think, yeah, actually this is what Flash should have been. Flash has always been really good at games. Why doesn't it have all these amazing things that Unity has? It should have had a really good game making system in it. It's interesting that Flash, the software, like which has now been renamed Adobe Animate, <laughs> like has still retained its core customers, which were people doing vector animations, people doing cartoons and stuff. Mm. Like it's it still has a quite a, a big popularity. Like because learning a new animation software is a big, huge investment, and like if you've got good at making animations in Flash, like. You're not going to want to change your workflow if there's no need for you to do that. So, And it was always pretty good at that stuff. And there isn't really any other vector-based animation tool. I know that a lot of people doing animations for lasers use Flash. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. Because nothing else does vector graphics, right? It's like... I think there are other things that do. Like things like Toon Boom probably lets you have use vector assets. Right. Um, but it's not it's not exporting a vector format at the end. You're just going to get a video out of it. You know, I just recreated all the Duck Hunt assets in vector format. Oh, yeah. How did that work out in the end? <laughs> oh, pretty good. But I had to, you know, initially I I was sort of tracing them. You know, I was doing live trace. And then in the end, I realized I'm just going to have to actually manually trace everything <laughs> and optimize it all. <laughs> it was quite painstaking so i did it all in illustrator and i got quite a good workflow so i could put each frame on a different layer right and then i found a script that would just go through every layer and export it as an svg right and i've got some code that can import svgs and put it into my laser that's cool i've got laser duck hunt now yeah the summary of what i was going to say was basically yeah. to do with just the fact of like doing 2d stuff and i've done a lot of 2d stuff and 2.5d stuff it's maybe perceived as easier and it is easier at first to do simple things but once you start doing like complex things in 2d or in two and a half d you actually find that 3d has so much built-in stuff or existing workflows that actually Mm. it's harder in a way yeah absolutely well i mean think about it you do have 3d assets they're still ending up in 2d right but once you've got those assets in 3D, you can see it from any angle, from any pose, any movement, any transition between any movement or position. In 2D, you have to manually draw every single one of those yeah. things. Yeah. And things like <laughs> like there's a standardized data format, say, for having a humanoid character r- running or jumping or doing any animation. Right. So if you need an animation of someone running, you can just buy that. Yeah. Right. And you can apply it to your rigged character. And it, the character will do that. And it's just like there's, in 2D world, there's no equivalent of that. Yeah, really interesting. That The way you can retarget an animation in 3D is like massively powerful, I think. It's important not to overlook the amount of engineering that's gone into getting us to this stage. Oh, absolutely. Right? No, I mean, it's massively more complex, but that yeah. work's already been but done. Not, not for the game makers. No, we've not got, for the actual game makers. And I think yeah. that's why you find that like so many of the really bad games that are appearing on Steam and places like that now are all 3D because it's people just going, okay, grab this thing from the asset store, grab this thing from the asset store, bish, bish. Hey, I've made a first-person shooter, but it's like the weirdest, most awful thing (laughs) and hasn't really got the craft. Okay, well, we should probably wrap things up, right? Cool. Excellent. Yep. So thanks again for listening, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us.
can get us at ccpod.co on the internet please follow us on twitter cc underscore pod and if you like the show and really want to encourage us to make more than we're currently making <laughs> please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash creative coding thanks a lot thanks for listening bye bye yeah you gotta have the children's tv goodbye at the end yeah it's like rainbow or something <laughs> stop <laughs>